Welcome into the Mentor Forge Podcast. I'm your host, Cartwright Morris. The Mentor Forge Podcast, we're about forging men into high-performing leaders. We do that through story. What you'll hear on this podcast is men's life, how they became leaders for the service and the benefit of others. If that's something that you're interested in finding more about, go to mentorforge.com and you can actually sign up for your free coaching session today with me to discover more about how you can become a high-performing leader. So go to mentorforge.com. Now, today's episode. All right, got a great episode today with Dylan Ruse coming from Hawaii, but you probably will recognize his accent's a little bit different. He's not necessarily Hawaiian accent. I got a couple, you know, (laughs) but Dylan, man, I'm excited to have you in here, man. Like I know like if you could check out Dylan Ruse coaching.com, me and Dylan have a similar heartbeat, just a different age group, really. (laughs) That's at the end of the day. So Dylan, man, it's great to have you in. Thank you, brother. It's good to uh, be on and I'm keen to get stuck into this conversation. I actually don't think you know what keen means. I don't think actually Americans have that way. I'm excited to get stuck in. You said keen? Is that what you said? Keen. Yeah, keen. keen. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like you're keen, you're excited, you're ready to exactly. go. Yeah, excited. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's yeah. a good one. I love that that Australian word. It's much better than car park or my yeah. shout. You know? so, <laughs> that really created one confusing uh, dinner one time with a buddy when he said it was my shout. But anyway, uh, yeah. that's a story for uh-huh. another day. <laughs> um, so Dylan, before you start, I, I noticed on your profile that you were a basketball player. No, so I I I played um, AFL. So that is a sport only played in Australia. But I didn't make it to the professional. I was one league underneath the professional league. Oh, so you played Australian rules football? Australian rules football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I played yeah. that up, and my dad was a professional player and professional coach um, in in for the for the Sydney Swans, and so I played. Um, there was a Sydney Swans as the team in Sydney and then the Swans Reserves was like the second league. So I, I got to there mm-hmm. when I was 18, 19 and played in that side and then um, mm-hmm. and then stopped playing. But I played basketball growing up too. Like I was the captain of my basketball team and yeah. um, got, I got into a couple of colleges, not for basketball, but I was hoping to do a walk-on. But I, I had a girlfriend at the time and oh. decided to stay in Australia. And then three months, three months later, we broke up. I was like, can I still go to America on the scholarship? <laughs> no, you can't. Okay, damn. I'm stuck in Australia then. Um, God, there's a, I'm really curious about a lot of what you just said, but I'm, a lot of my American friends, so Australian rules football is generally the southeastern part specifically sport, but it's like in Australia, right? It's, it's, so it's Australia's biggest sport, and I think it's actually the third – largest domestic sport in the world in regards to um attendance oh uh, yeah so it's yeah so it's massive and melbourne which is in the southeast part that's like the home of afl that's like so victoria right. the state that's mm-hmm. that is the home of afl where that's like mm-hmm. it's the most popular i think there's there's eight teams just in victoria i think maybe even more um so that's yeah the home of afl is victoria yeah and i, I went to a game last time i was there and it is everything is cracked up to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a full on intense sport, big yeah. field, lots yeah. of running, hitting. Like you got to be skilled to. I mean, that's why American coaches recruit yeah. punters and kickers from Australia because these guys, yeah. like, I mean, they kick with both feet on the yeah. run. I yeah. mean, well, Michael athletes. Dixon, who's the punter at 
uh, Seattle Seahawks. He's Australian and he actually played with my brother growing up, played footy with my brother growing up and, and mm-hmm. he was in the Swans Academy, like the junior development program that me and my brother were in. So where mm-hmm. my brother's really close to Dicko and, and I know Dicko kind of well and mm-hmm. um, some of his highlights, like if you type yeah. in Michael Dixon, you know, the, the American commentators are going nuts because some yeah. of the stuff he's doing and we're like, yeah, that's kind of just standard for, for a footy player. <laughs> um, yeah, there's been a couple of good punters that have come across from Australia. Yeah. So growing up, I mean, you were a big fan of um, footy as well as, I mean, basketball. Did you watch much American NBA? Were you a fan of that growing up? I didn't. I, I was. Yeah. Like I'm a big. I was a big LeBron fan when he was in mm-hmm. Cleveland. Then he went to Miami, and I was like, all right, I'll follow him to Miami. <laughs> then he came back to Cleveland. And I was like, go away. We don't want you. You left. And then he went to LA. And I got his jersey because I was like, that's a pretty iconic James yeah. Los Angeles Lakers jersey. But, yes, yeah. I follow it. I don't watch nearly as much as I would have liked to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I definitely watch the NBA, a little bit of the NFL. Um, I've been to a couple of hockey games, which are great to go to as well. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's awesome. So, yeah, mm-hmm. American culture definitely has its influences across the world, but in, in Australia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so what was your growing up what was your first exposure to sports your favorite sports memory um growing up so because dad was a professional player he played until 98 i was born in 94 so i don't have any memories of him playing but then um then he went into coaching and i we oz kick which is the junior junior level of football like under fives it's mm-hmm. called Aussie. so i started playing when i was five years old um and that was footy and then i actually didn't start playing basketball until i was about 12 um at a competition level and i loved that and really enjoyed um basketball but i played baseball growing up i played um no cricket cricket's the equivalent of baseball in australia um, but I can't stand cricket. Like, I think it's so boring. I'd rather watch paint dry. Um, and so, yeah, earliest memories are just kicking the footy with dad and my brother. Um, and definitely my favourite sporting memory was when um, my dad's team won the AFL Grand Final. So they won the premiership in 2005. So I was about 10 years old. We were in Melbourne for that. And that was, you know, the best thing ever. My dad's got one of the most famous speeches in Australia for holding up the cup, you know, here it is, is like yes. a saying in Australia that a lot of footy uh, footy fans know. Um, so that's definitely my favourite memory. I was really fortunate enough that me and my brother were able to get onto the ground um, and we were actually in the team photo um, after they won it, which they the wow. AFL was not happy at all because they had to airbrush us out of all the memorabilia, like all the memorabilia because it was the photo. Right. That be sent out so they had to airbrush me and my brother out of and so I think after that year they changed the rules of like family members aren't allowed on the ground so I think that's actually because of me and my brother um so that was definitely my favorite memory and then one of the worst memories was the next year when we dad went back to the grand final but lost and that was just the worst thing ever so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so I mean sports really was a large part of your life at a young age Mm -hmm. yeah definitely definitely like huge and part of that was great and part of it had its challenges because you couldn't escape like i was never dylan ruse i was always paul ruse's son yeah developing my identity especially as i've gotten older has been one really important for me to develop my own identity and my own brand and my own business Mm -hmm. that i run now has been really important but definitely younger 
and still to this day, it still has its challenges where now Mulder, I'm a, like, I'm, I've been okay with it basically my whole life. Like, I don't remember a time where I wasn't okay with it because you just had to be okay with it. Like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Like, not <laughs> change your name or something. But I, yeah, I remember yeah. when we would get, we played club basketball, um, and you could get your name on the back and mm-hmm. everyone was getting either their Nick. Most people just get their last name right on the back of their Jersey. I got my first name on the back of my Jersey. Oh wow. So I was like, I didn't want to have ruse on my Jersey. I wanted to have Dylan. So I had Dylan on the back of my Jersey and looking back, I'm like, that's the dumbest thing ever. But it was just, it was really difficult forging mm-hmm. my own identity away from that because every time, you know, you introduce yourself, people are like, what's your name? Okay, great. Every time I would introduce myself, it was if someone was introducing me, it was this is Paul Ruse's son, or they already knew who I was, and it was like, oh hey, you're what's it like being Paul Ruse's son, you know? And so I, me and my brother, very quickly had to had to deal with that and, and figure out how to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, imagine, I mean, that shadow seemed like it was looming large, mm. but it seemed also y'all had his gifting in that yeah. your talent, and so as a young man, how did you? really starting to move away from that shadow outside of writing your name on the back. Like yeah, how did yeah. you, how did you kind of sh- start uh, maybe in an unhealthy way? And then decided did you kind of mm-hmm. transition to maybe it was a healthy way of really shaping your own identity? Yeah. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I think it actually was to my detriment because I didn't want to be seen. Like uh, I, it was kind of this weird contradiction of, I want to be the best player ever like i had mm. such a competitive drive and i wanted to be the best but my self-sabotage would kick up because i didn't want to be seen and so it was this and i've only really realized that in the last couple of years upon reflection of like that's interesting like i kind of self-sabotaged a lot because i didn't want to be seen because mm. um and really recently i had this realization of um I started to cultivate a bit of like fuck you energy to the world of like yeah. fuck you. I'm gonna I'm gonna prove you wrong, mm-hmm. and I'm like, huh, I've never had this energy, but it's also not um, unfamiliar. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's weird. Like, where I'm kind of familiar with this energy, but I've never had because you watch motivational videos and you're like, you know, prove your haters wrong and mm-hmm. rah, rah, all this stuff. And I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, cool. Like little bit of motivation for five minutes and then that wears off. But recently I've had more of that, like, yeah, I'm, I'm hungry for success and I'm going to do this and I'm going to prove people wrong. And I'm like, oh, where's that come from? Cause I've, I kind of recognize it. And what I realized, I, I did a big journaling session and I realized that I had that energy, but it was directed. It was kind of directed inwards towards myself of like yeah. everyone. And this isn't a sob by any means, a sob story, more just sharing, do more to sharing my story, which was I felt like no matter what I did, my success wouldn't have been mine because it, it would just be attached to, well, you're Paul Roos's son. And I saw that when I got into representative um, level teams and made, mm-hmm. you know, um, high level teams, it was like these whispers in the background of like, oh, there's Paul Roos's son. That's why he got in. Rah, rah, rah. And so, which I didn't realize I was doing at the time, only this year did I realize what I did was I was going, okay, fuck you. I'm going to show you that my life's difficult. And so I would self-sabotage and make my life difficult. And that was the fuck you energy, but it was turned in a really bad way that self-sabotage. And I was like, I had this realization. I'm like, wow, that is so interesting. So that played out. And then recently I've been able to tap into more like of a healthier drive to succeed that actually doesn't self-sabotage me. And so back to your question around identity, I think 
it's really hard to develop your identity outside of someone like my dad because he is so famous in Australia. It's just really hard to not. And so I think it almost comes into embrace a little bit of like embracing the shadow, embracing mm. that aspect and just being like, yeah, like he is my dad. Like, okay, cool. And more embracing it. And cause there are a lot of benefits to that as well. So like embracing right. it, embracing the benefits, just loving my dad for, he didn't do anything other than be successful. Right. Like what am I going to hold that against him? Because now yeah. I can't. So I think it was more this reconciliation of that's just who my dad is and really genuinely reconciling that. And then for me, um, you know, I've moved to America now and I think a part of that was unconscious of like, no one knows me in America. Mm-hmm. No one, no one knows who I am. No one knows what the Ruse name is. I can come over here and start my own brand and start my own name. And I think definitely part of that has driven my move to America is like, cool, I can create my own brand over here and be successful. And no one can take that away from me because dad doesn't have any pull in the States or he's got very little pull in the States. Right. So I think that's been also a transition and, and how I've developed my own identity has been finding purpose. Yeah. Finding a purpose that is mine, which is the work that I'm doing with young men, which is work in the men's space, which is focusing on positive masculinity, which is being a good role model to my clients and just, you know, being a lighthouse to, to anyone who's paying attention to me. And so I think that's where I've developed my identity is, just in my purpose that is like, hey, that, this is my purpose. No one can take this away from me. This is mine and I'm really proud of it and I'm really happy to be in this space. And only recently in the last six months have I been able to be proud of the work that I was doing because I still had that little lingering like mm. lingering thing of don't be too – Australia's got a really diff- – I love the American – I love America so much. Like America gets a pretty bad rap and – you know, probably for good for good reasons here and there. Like America, <laughs> we have extremes. I'll give you. We that. have extremes in America, but <laughs> the one thing I love about America is, um, you guys don't suffer a lot from pop, tall poppy syndrome, which yeah. is you know yes, you know what that is with Australia. It's like man, it's so deep in the culture there of don't talk your, yourself up too much, don't be too proud, don't be this. Whereas in America is like, yeah, man, you can do anything, dude. Like whoa, how'd you get that car and teach me how to make money and like all this stuff. So uh, I love that mentality in America, which also has been really helpful coming over here is great. I've got a much different culture that I'm building myself off of. And for the past two years, it's been an Australian culture, which has been great for the challenging aspect of that because it has really challenged me. And I remember when I shifted my brand away from I'm out having a beer with the boys at the pub and that was every photo, like everyone else on Instagram, to I'm going to share some motivational quotes and then I'm going to share a book that I'm reading. And that was five or six years ago that I started transitioning because I knew through my dad, brand is so important. Your personal brand is so, so important. And so I shifted five, six years ago, four years ago, got into the men's space. Two years ago, stepped into a full-time coach working with men. And Mm -hmm. that slow transition really helped getting over the challenges because if I went from drinking to, hey guys, I'm mentoring young men, everyone would have been like, what? Like, look at your last 20 posts. It's just you at the bar with your mates. Like, what are you going to mentor your friends on? I mentor young boys on. So, yeah, yeah, I think I've just slowly developed my identity that way through Mm. figuring out what my purpose is and then through figuring out my purpose, my identity has developed around that purpose. Yeah. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Thrive Marriage Lab. If you want your marriage to thrive, this is a great opportunity to you. The strong marriages are the bedrock of strong churches, organizations, families, and communities. This is a 12-month pathway for any of you that are looking to really have weekly engagement with experienced marriage counselors. Not just one, but many. So go to restory.life backslash thrive to get on the waiting list for this great program that starts in April. That's restory.life backslash thrive. And make sure you put the word forge in the promo code to receive a discount on your monthly fee. Now back to the episode. Wow, that's cool. So uh, knowing your story, I mean, I think if we dove back into it, I I'm guessing you left school and you kind of mentioned it was um, because there, I think everybody, everybody has a great, like your best sir, your best position to serve the person you used to be. And I'm assuming that there are a lot of your 17 to 23 was really difficult. Yeah. And so, yeah. Help like just give to my audience really trying to understand, you know, why you do what you do, Mm. what was kind of some of the, bigger pain points that you went through in your, um, post high school, um, college years. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think I thrived so well in, in zero to 18 because I had purpose, which was, I'm a really good athlete and I'm going to try to be an athlete. And that gave me purpose. So, Mm. and that was really great but then when I didn't – in Australia, you get drafted at 18. There's no real college system that you go into to then go – you just go from high school into professional sport. And so I didn't get drafted at 18. I had a bad breakup with my girlfriend at the time. She cheated on my – she cheated on me with my best friend whilst on Australia's equivalent version of um, spring break. And I stayed home to pursue sport and to train – and I'm kind of going off on a little tangent, but it will come back to your question. Mm-hmm. And that, because of that, it took me six years before, because people would be like, why did you quit playing sport? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I didn't love it. I didn't have the, I, I didn't want to sacrifice what was necessary. And yeah. I, it never really sat well of like, that's the reason. Six years down the track at a men's workshop, men's retreat, two days. And someone reflected back to me, hey, do you think you quit sport because you associated sport with this heartbreak? And because you were training, and you didn't go to spring break, you think that's why you quit. And I was like, oh, shit, that's exactly why I quit. Yeah. So zero to 18, life was really great. I was playing high-level AFL, playing high – I was captain of my basketball team. I was a school prefect, which I don't know if America – like school leader. Um, so life was really great. And then I left high school, quit sport, lost all the structure and accountability of school, was going to uni, studying a degree that I didn't love, um, and then I didn't have any purpose. And so – 19 to about 20 definitely yeah definitely 19 to 23 I really struggled with my mental health with decision making with mm-hmm. my habits because I had nothing that was driving I had no reason to be to be making sacrifices and so mm-hmm. like a lot of young men these days when you don't have purpose or you don't have an idea of where you're headed it becomes really difficult to not fall victim to short-term pleasure and short-term gain and we live in such a society now where there is so much short-term pleasure around like so much and so 19 20 years old 
I was just drinking like three, four times a week, going to the same bars with my mm. same mates, doing the same thing. And then that really deteriorated my mental health until the point where 20 years old, I didn't get out of bed for a week. And then that's when I was like, ah, oh, okay, I'm not hungover. This is something wrong. I'm, I'm struggling right now. So I put my hand up, went to see a psychologist. He diagnosed with depression and anxiety disorder. I moved from Sydney down to Melbourne because that's where my family was at the time yeah. and started to really work on myself and be like, all right, well, great. I'm aware of a problem. It, everything starts with awareness, as I'm sure you know. I'm aware I'm struggling. Now I can start to not struggle. And so that was kind of my 19 to 23 was this real, because it was back and forth, it was make some sacrifices, but I wasn't sure what I was sacrificing for. So I would kind of fall back into bad habits. I'd start drinking again. I'd start, for me, women, women has been my biggest crutch from 19 to, to fuck mate, like even last year, right? Um, mm -hmm. Where I just got a lot of my, I a lot of my, uh, value as a man came from how many women I could sleep with. And mm. so I very quickly realized when I broke up, when, my, when my, me and my girlfriend broke up at 18, I realized, oh, I'm actually kind of good with girls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so that became a way which I handled everything. Sad, go sleep with a girl. Stressed out, go sleep with a girl. A little bit depressed, go sleep with a girl, right? Don't mm. feel like uh, not sure what to do, just go sleep with a girl, right? Like. Yeah, yeah everything you know you're not making a lot of money that's okay because go sleep with a girl and you'll feel better okay great so everything for me came around revolved around sleeping with women because that was something that i became good at and so that really was detrimental to my growth as a young person as a young man really kept me stuck for years and years and years stuck me kept me stuck in pain cycles that just kept repeating out i would get a girlfriend and then because my entire identity was wrapped up in sleeping with women, when I got a girlfriend and the second I either got too close or started to get too like, oh, this is really nice, I would freak out, go sleep with a girl. Or the opposite, if it got just a tiny bit too stressful, my coping mechanism, my only coping mechanism that I had was, well, just go sleep with a girl. So that it just, mm -hmm. people, one of the biggest pushbacks to don't have casual sex is like, why not? It's fun. And it's like, yeah, but fun as the pro, what are the cons? And you have to really look at what the cons are. And definitely for me, the cons way outweighed the pros. It was just I didn't have the strength, the ability, the the um, foresight to fully mm -hmm. comprehend the cons that was playing out in my life. And as I said before, it is difficult to sh step out of short-term pleasure it's hard yeah. to choose chicken and broccoli over burgers. It's hard to choose getting up and going to the gym over sleeping in. It's hard to choose going to bed mm -hmm. early over playing video games till 4 a.m. Like they're hard decisions, but I always say choose your sacrifice. You don't get to not make a sacrifice. You have to choose your sacrifice. Mm. And so if you can choose the short-term pleasure, your long-term is going to be so much better. But if you choose to sacrifice your long-term, yeah. Short term, you'll never get out of whatever the place is that you're in. Mm. Yeah, man, that's good. And just, uh, and how it's funny, even, and especially, I think this, I shouldn't say especially, I think this happens in the Western world in general, is we think university, college is this time, like you said, it's just like, hey, I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to get all these coping mechanisms yeah. and wait to, to become an adult, wait to have that mindset of, 
delaying pleasure, delaying short-term gratification mm. for long-term pleasure or long-term success and good yeah. things. So, and I think that something gets missed in those four to six years of like, yeah. man, no, this is the time. This is your rite of passage. Yeah. And too many of us, we take it in a little passive way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, give us a little just kind of um, breakdown of, you know, what you learned in that. And then like, you kind of already shared, but then how, what do you walk through some of your clients through of what, how they can be intentional in their yeah. 17 to 25 range? Well, I think I have a son now. He's six weeks old. Mm. And so now everything that I'm thinking about is through a really practical lens of what would I Mm. want to teach my son when he gets to these ages. And I think, and I'm still developing my, like, I I like to pride myself on my flexibility in my thoughts as I'm developing them. But then once I've kind of gotten to, this is what I believe I'm, I've done my research to believe that. And so it will take me a bit to knock me off that because I'm like, oh, I've kind of really thought about mm-hmm. this. And I've, this is something that I have really thought about. And as you were just speaking then, I actually, for the first time, thought of the Mormons. Uh, the Mormons? Who? No. Who are, the, who are the group of people in America that live completely separate from society? Not yeah. Mormons. I mean, it's more, some especially fundamentalists do. Um, Jehovah's the ones Witnesses. that don't use technology and they don't have electricity. Oh, oh you're thinking of the Amish. Amish, the Amish. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. what the Amish do, right? They mm. you get to 18, and then they're like, "All right, you get to decide. Do you want to stay with us or go out into the real world?" And they send the people out into the real world. Mm-hmm. And and just as you were speaking, I was like, "Hmm, that's actually probably what I would do with my son." Is like turns 18, finishes high school. I would give him a year, and I would say, "Here, you have 12 months." And whether it's before college or after college, if he wants to go to college or not, but you have 12 months, go and enjoy all the hedonistic pleasure that you want, but it's in a 12-month period. And I think what happens is we get stuck in the pleasure for four years, for five years. There's no rites of passage out of the pleasure. There's Mm -hmm. just, hey, the world's kind of got pleasure and good luck integrating into society it's really difficult and Mm -hmm. you mentioned rites of passage where for thousands of years hundreds of years cultures who didn't have any contact with each other all developed a very similar framework of oh you're starting to push back against me as your father and your mother Mm -hmm. oh you're starting to want to step into manhood great we're going to go take you and we're going to go make you a man now Mm -hmm. and you know your podcast is men are forged like Mm -hmm. we no longer are forging men through rites of passage yeah and Mm -hmm. so that is something I'm really passionate about where I think when I think about my son, I'm like, what would I do? I think when he gets to 14, 15 and starts to push back, I'll take him through a rites of passage journey where it'll be very deliberate. Mm-hmm. I'll get me, my brother, my dad, maybe some other men in his life, my uncles, go take him on a week-long journey, integrate him back into the family where then he gets accepted by his mother and the women of the of our little community and that'll be really powerful. And then should he get to... 18, 19, and still be a bit rocky or a bit unsure, I think what I would do is I think I would be like, go and have fun. Like, don't – like, go and do what you want to do. But we're capping it at a year, and then after the year, cool, let's look at your purpose. Let's look at what's going on in your life. Let's look at your direction. And giving him that year to just go and enjoy the modern society because – Again, we modern problems require modern solutions. And so I mm-hmm. think that there's something to be said for like 
we're pretty far gone in society in terms of where we're at, right? right. Like society's not looking too good. So one thing that now I'm, I'm a, I'm a young father, I'm 28 and a father and that kind of happened pretty much overnight. Me and my partner were dating for a month and then I flew to America and then she called me a month later and was like, Hey, I'm pregnant and we've stepped into that role. And now that I'm here in this space, it's like, cool. I think I would, I think what I would look back into my child, my 18 to 23 year range, I don't necessarily wish I didn't go and drink with my mates. I wish I didn't do it for as long and get stuck in that place. I wish I just did it, had fun and then grew up. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I wish I did. And so I think similarly, when I look to young men now, it's that balancing act of like, we've been trying to tell young people not to have sex for thousands of years and no one succeeded in it. (laughs) No one has. No one has succeeded in stopping Mm -hmm. young people from going and seeking pleasure. It's, it's, it's innate Mm. as we do, because again, men are forged. Most men will have to make mistakes before they change. It's very hard to put an old head on young shoulders. It's hard. And that's what my work is trying to do is put an old head on young shoulders. And so Mm. I think when I'm talking with my clients around purpose, it's, it's really about like, okay, if I was a genie and could grant you your wish and in five years time, this was your life, what would it be? And they haven't thought of it that way. Most of them haven't thought of it that way because they'll be like, I'll be like, what do you want to do? And you're like, well, okay, I'm going to finish high school and then I'm going to go into uni. I'm going to study this and then I'm going to become uh, an architect or an engineer. Mm -hmm. And you're like, cool, man, that's what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, what about if I could grant you any wish that you wanted and that's what you wanted to do? And most of my clients, 14, 15, even the older ones at 20, 21, I'm still like in five years time, you're only going to be 26 years old. And so yeah. I'm trying to drive home to them of like, we're now going to live to 80 years old, 90 years old, if you're really healthy, 100 years old. Whereas 100 years ago, you were only living to 50 or 60. So we have an extra 20 to 40 years potentially on our life. So you can now, in again, modern problems require modern solutions. Now you can spend 20 to 25 chasing a dream and even if it fails, you're still only mm. 25 and you've got plenty of time to then go and get a job that you hate, right? Mm-hmm. Plenty of time to do that. So I yeah. talk to my guys and when I reword the question of I'm a genie and I can grant you magic, one out of 10 times do they give me the same answer. And so yeah. I'm like, well, dude, why aren't you chasing what you really want to do? Oh, I don't know. I've never thought of it. Right. Like it's so ingrained in society mm-hmm. to just go to high school, get a degree, get a job. And so I was was speaking with one of my older clients. He's 20 years old and we're trying to figure out his purpose. And he's like, I think I want to go down real estate. And we spoke about it for like 30 minutes. And then I was like, I asked him that question. I was like, well, what's your dream? What do you want to do that you wake up every single day and you love what you do? And I can grant that right now. And in five, 10 years time, this is what you are. We were talking about real estate for 30 minutes. And then he goes, I'd love to be the head of Apple design team. And I'm like, Dude, why the fuck are we talking about real estate? (laughs) Go and chase this dream. You're 20 years old. You could chase it for 10 years. Yeah. Get nowhere and you're still 30 and you can pick up a real estate license then and be Mm -hmm. a real estate dude. So I'm really passionate about, I think people kind of know their purpose. I think young men especially need the encouragement and that king energy because the king energy is the blessing, right? Mm -hmm. blessing of like hey man i encourage you to go do this like you're gonna be okay and i'm proud of you for the effort that you put in place rather than any sort Mm -hmm. of outcome and that i think is really important that young men hear Mm -hmm. that so 
it, do you feel like there is a culturally like this just bent towards safety or that's what I've only seen. So that's the only thing I'm going to do. I think you look at society and mm-hmm. we're the most stressed we've ever been. We're the most depressed we've ever been. We're the most anxious we've ever been. We're the mm-hmm. sickest. We're the fattest. We've got the highest divorce rates. We've got the lowest job satisfaction. Mm-hmm. We're just not doing well. The average person is not doing well. And so I'm a I'm a role model. I'm, I'm a mentor, which is essentially I'm a role model. Fathers are role models for their kids. Mothers are role models for their kids. What I think is happening is young people are looking out into the world and they're seeing really poor examples of what taking on responsibility and taking on um, stepping into adulthood looks like. They yeah. look at that and they're like, holy shit, mum and dad are really stressed out. They don't really have a lot of intimacy. They, um, Dad's overweight, mum's overweight. They come home and they yell at me. Yeah. Why would I want to become an adult? Why would I want to step mm-hmm. into that? I don't want to become that because as a kid, you're just everything's fun. And you're like, well, I'm just going to stay young and be f- and have fun. It's mm-hmm. Peter Pan syndrome. Right. And so I think, I think what happens is the parents from a place of love encourage their kids to go down the same path that they've been down because that's what they know. Mm-hmm. And I don't think enough parents are actually saying, hey, one, I don't think enough people, I don't think enough people in general are just taking care of themselves and being good role models for the next generation to step into. Again, if I look out into the world and I'm 15 years old and I say, what does it mean to be a, to be the man and be a man? And you see one side, which is the average man, which is he's struggling a lot and he's really not happy and he's overweight and battling. And then he sees the other side, which is the Andrew Tates of the world, which are still, in my opinion, or role models, which are they just highly successful, make a lot of money, and they get a lot of girls. And that's why they gravitate towards that because who wouldn't want to be happy, lots of money, get lots of girls? Mm, right. And I think the middle ground is is the everyday man and woman becoming better role models themselves. They're, they're, you go back 50 years ago, you go back to my dad's generation or our dad's generation, and their parents were pretty fit and healthy. Their parents yeah. maybe didn't love their jobs, but came home and had a father figure in the home and a mother figure in the home and they had a family unit, right? And so I think mm-hmm. that's what we've stepped away. You know, I'm kind of mm-hmm. coming out of this from a lot of directions because I think it's a really complicated issue that you that you brought up. But I just think that there's not enough people who have lived the motto of you can chase your dreams and achieve it. I think what social media has done is it's given a lot of people that we can now see do it but we're kind of removed from our, like we see Gary V doing it and we're like, how do I, that's mm-hmm. Gary V. We see Ed Milet doing it. We see Lewis Howes. We see Joe Rogan. We see all these people, but they're all celebrities now. And so we're kind of disconnected from, Yeah. wow, my uncle goes to work every day, works his ass off, comes home, goes to the gym and sits down and has dinner with his family. Wow. And he's, you know, he's, pretty happy like he looks okay he makes ninety thousand dollars a year but he's pretty happy like we've lost that where Mm. now the average person comes home and they just sit down order takeout and watch a movie and they're not very happy and they're not very healthy and i think kid we talk about all the kids are sponges right teenagers are sponges they look at that and they go Mm. i don't want to be that fuck that so Mm. but there's no roadmap 
in our immediate circles that gets you to say, hey, take risks, go and and follow your actual purpose and your actual dream because even if you fail, we're still going to love you, you're still going to be okay, you're still going to be taken care of. Yeah, and that's something you, you hit on that's really good is, uh, you know, that, that place where that's where you actually are going to figure out really what you want is mm. by the failing, is by going for it. And like, you got time. Why do you, what, they're like, there's some reason there's this urgency. And it could be, like you said, that social media creates this comparison. It creates that there's like a million different options and therefore yeah. we don't have one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? And people are paralyzed by a few, by fear, by, and I think mm-hmm. the, the fear is fear of failing, but also the fear of looking like a beginner. You know, yeah. So, so even at 20, I, nuts, of course you're yeah, 20. So, <laughs> so what I experienced, which was, because was, which was difficult. And so I really resonate. And this is why I love the work because I can resonate and empathize with a lot of these fears because I've had them. I went to a private boys school. So in Australia, the private schools are the good, I don't want to upset anyone, but they are the good schools. You got to, they're expensive, but that's just mm-hmm. the case in Australia. So I went to a private boys school. So when I left high school, didn't get into sport, it was kind of like, bang, there's my, like Dylan was the sports guy and bang, there's my ego gets hit a bit. Then it was, um, I went to uni and dropped out and then it was like, oh, bang, there's another ego thing. And then I was working at a cafe, bang, there's another ego thing. And I remember going up to Sydney one year for one of my best mates, mum's passed away funeral. And I was working at a cafe at a time trying to build some business. I, I'm not sure what it was at the time, but I wasn't, I, I was like, I don't want to work for someone else. I went and did that. And the first week I realized this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And I think where a lot of people get stuck was people aren't prepared to just go and work at a cafe and figure out what their purpose is or figure out what the side hustle is. Yeah. And certainly for me, it was really hard. So I went up to Sydney for this funeral. Hey man, what are you doing? Oh, I'm an accountant. Hey man, what are you doing? Oh, I'm in my law firm. Hey man, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm almost a doctor and I'm going... I make people's coffees, <laughs> right? And the ego yeah. mm. was, that was hard. And I think a lot of young people have mm. too big of egos that they're mm. like, I would rather go get a, go to a good school and get a good job because society values the good school and the good job yeah. instead of actually I'm going to go and just work in a bar, work in a cafe figure out what I want to do with my life and then start to make moves. So this is where I, I'm really passionate about the practical side of things. So so I'll get my story. 18, didn't get drafted, stopped playing footy at 19, was studying, went and did a three-month internship for free, didn't get paid a cent, three months full-time at a sports mm-hmm. agency because I thought that's what I want to do. Got to the end of that, realized that's not what I want to do. So then I stopped that, studied for a bit longer. My mental health took a dive. I dropped out of uni, went down to Melbourne. Then I did an internship at Sony Music. I didn't, int- all this was unpaid. Internship at Sony Music, nah. Internship at New Balance, nah. Internship at a marketing firm, nah. Um, worked at a couple cafes. Then I w- went to California because my grandparents were over there and I wanted to spend time with them. And I went there and I was like, well, I'm not going to bum off my grandparents for three months. So I went and got a job in construction. Right. Not, definitely not going to go into construction, but it mm-hmm. served a purpose. Came back to Australia, got into real estate. Mm, that's not for me. Then I went back into marketing, worked full-time there for three months. Mm, that's not for me. Then I went into um, network marketing. Mm, that's not for me. Then I went into finance. No, not for me. Then I went into direct sales. Mm, not for me. Then I started studying at 25 a health coaching course because my parents wanted me to do something. And so I was like, all right, I'll do this. I'm kind of passionate about health. 
halfway through that course was the light bulb moment. Ah, I want to be a coach. Yeah. Right. So from 18 to 25, I was just trying lots of things because you're right. There's so many options. What happens is we get stuck in, I need to find out the right option in the first guess. Yeah. And so that keeps a lot of people stuck. Whereas for me, it was like, I think I want to be a real estate agent. All right. One week later, I'm enrolled in a course. Two weeks later, I'm doing the course. Three mm. weeks later, I'm working. Two yeah. months later, I'm out of the industry, right? So for most people, that's a year-long experience or two years. Hmm, I think I want to do real estate. I'm not really sure. Maybe I'll research and just go and do. You think you want to do it? Go yeah. and do it. You can always just not do it. So Don't wait for the really, feeling. Don't wait for the perfect don't moment. Wait. Like, yeah. You think. Mm. This is what I ask my clients. What do you think you would want to do? Because people are like, what do you want to do? Fuck, I don't know. What do you think you want to do? I think I want to do this. Cool, go and do that. If in six right. months' time you don't want to do it, you've now yeah. narrowed You've now narrowed the options for you. Mm-hmm. And so for me, my whole journey was just, nope, 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 nope. Oh, I want to be a coach. And that was health coaching. Then I started, then I finished that degree, health coach for about six months, didn't love health. I was like, fuck, I'm sick of telling fat people simple things, right? It was like yeah. I was super healthy, so I was just getting triggered by my clients. I was like, yeah. just stop eating and go and exercise. How hard is it? You know? <laughs> um, but then I realized I wanted to work with men. And then me mm-hmm. and my dad started a business together. Uh, we started working with men. Then I started another business with a couple mates and working with men. Then mm-hmm. in 2020, I came to Hawaii and had a kind of a Vikings burn the boats moment where mm. I – Paid $8,000 for a business coach. That was the rest of my, I had no money now, $8,000 for a business coach and said, I want to mentor young men. And then three months later, launched my first intake of Prince to King, sold that out. And there, and that's where it was. Because for me, I moved to Hawaii. I was like, I'm not moving to Hawaii and then just working in a cafe again because that's what I'd done for the past two years. I'm moving to Hawaii to give myself some distance and space to get clear on what I want to do, which Mm. was mentor young men. And then that's where it was. And so I'm really grateful that I was able to recognize my ego and it was big and I, that'll be a content, like I had a huge ego and it's still pretty big and I'm still working through it. But <laughs> I had the ability to just go just one more day, just keep going, just tough it out. Like mm. I looked at it as like, what's the alternative? The alternative is you're miserable at 40. No, that's not, I don't want that life. I don't want to be miserable right. at 40. That, and so that, I think, kept me going in the humility of my ego was, what's the alternative? It's you're miserable in a job you hate. Okay, I will, that's yeah. definitely not what I want. So this is the only path forward. Mm. Man, that's so good. Yeah, and it's something you said about the ego that, uh, you know, a good friend of mine says that he thinks every man needs to experience that humbling moment because then you actually get to find out who you really are and what you want to do. So, yeah. man, that's so good. Well, Dylan, yeah. it's been a pleasure having you, man. Give me, uh, yeah, just... For those who want to find you, and even those young men out there, um, imagine you you have you end up coaching a lot of parents too through what you're doing. But uh, love, I wish man, that would make you. my work that would make my work much easier if I yeah. was. I tell you what, <laughs> <laughs> any parents, I'll work with you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, where where can people find you? Yeah, I'm I'm big across every everything. I'm I'm everywhere. So Dylan Ruse D Y L A N on Instagram. Um, Dylan.Ruse, my last name's for R-O-O-S. You dropped my website at the start, dylanruzecoaching.com. Uh, reach out to me. I respond to 
99% of messages. I, the 1% is the the spam ones. That, yeah. <laughs> right? So I could shoot me a message, any questions or anything that I can help with. I love um, connecting with people and, and, and yeah, giving, giving out support where I can. Man, that's great, Dylan. Man, it's been a pleasure having you. I've loved, I felt your energy, your excitement. You kind of nailed kind of a lot of those big points that I hit on that men are still dealing with in their 30s, right? So, yeah. so well, I think really it's, good. yeah, for the guys that are still struggling, mm-hmm. the big thing that we didn't touch on, but take yourself or find a group of men that can take you through a rites of passage. That was really big for me in my development. I realized, mm-hmm. shit, I've lived 26 years as a boy. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And that took a lot of humility for me to, to realize too, like, oh, because we all want to be men, you know, from 14, we're like, I'm grown, I'm a man, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I've been 26 years as a boy. I need to take myself through a rites of passage or some, even just small ceremonies or rituals that you take yourself through. But definitely it's more powerful if you can find someone to facilitate it, which there are plenty of programs and, and things out there that do do that. So I think mm-hmm. if you are finding yourself stuck in this, half boy, half man, look at, okay, how can I take myself fully into manhood, fully take on responsibility, fully take control of my life? How do I do that? Well, go through a rites of passage, you know, yeah. go through something that will take you through it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We need, and we need the guide to walk us through, be like, yeah, you know, yeah. basically show us the battle scars and how yeah. we can learn from them. Man, that's good. Man, Dylan, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, man. Thank you for listening to the Mentor Forge podcast. If you enjoyed this interview, I recommend going over to Mentor Forge YouTube page and subscribing. There's more great content, short clips, videos, even some full interviews of just more content about how we we are shaping men into leaders. So you can go there to the Mentor Forge YouTube page and subscribe.